this is the third Sunday in Lent, and we have two readings that I want to preach on. I just decided not to go near Paul this week. It was pretty, pretty turgid stuff. So I want to preach on the reading from Exodus, the burning bush, which is the famous story, and then Jesus in Luke's gospel, talking about some disasters, uh, raises the whole question of do bad things happen to us because we deserve them? And uh, is that uh, God's doing? But it also has something to do with uh, a way in which you might understand repentance in, in, in a sense the way they did in the ancient Near East, but at least to keep it in mind and then to think about its importance. Remember, there are three basic themes that course through the entire Lenten season. They are repentance, reconciliation, and godly motives, the importance of godly motives. And today, these two readings have something to do about repentance understood as changing the direction in the way you're looking for happiness, but also to think about repentance in vocational terms and to turn and see something in a different way and to understand that perhaps your behavior is in some way connected uh, to circumstances that uh, befall you, whether they be positive or negative. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. In the reading from Exodus, we have the famous story of Moses uh, keeping his father-in-law's sheep in Midian, and in the course of shepherding around, he sees a bush that's burning and not being consumed. And out of, the, out of the bush, the voice of God speaks. This is an epiphany. This is an example uh, of another epiphany in the Bible. And Moses hears from God, and God gives him his marching orders, so to speak. He tells him he's to go back to Egypt, and he's to free his people from slavery and to lead them out of slavery. But there's a couple of lines in this that are important to always have been to me. I, I will turn aside and see this great sight, which is sort of the act of turning, which is in repentance, turning and looking at something in a different way. So he couldn't avoid looking at the burning bush and listening to the voice. So Moses did that. And in, in that sense, it was a vocational moment for him, you know. So it doesn't say this in the text. Well, before I say that, um, he then is told that he should go to Egypt. And he said, well, who shall I say sent me? So when I was a little boy, I could never understand what in the world it meant I am sent you. Tell them I am sent you. Right? And then I got, when it finally got explained to me, I, I realized this. If you read it in Hebrew, there's some translations of, uh, or some uh, texts of the Hebrew Bible that when Moses says, who shall I say sent me, the, trans, or the Hebrew is, I will be what I will be. And in a sense, I kind of prefer that. My friend Ted Dumpke, when we were in grade school together, his mother had a cleaning lady who belonged to some sect in Los Angeles called the I Amers. 
<laughs> so they thought that was the right name for God. This stuff, is, see, all these things have been around for so long. But one of the peculiarities of this group was that they would not, could not stand anything to be printed in black ink. So all their official publications were in violet ink. I know nothing more than that. <laughs> but, but, but it just seemed interesting to me. What, what is it about violet ink, you know? I, Something different than black ink. The I amers. But I will be what I will be. Sometimes if we think of ourselves as instruments of God's work in the world um, and our own vocation, that's a way to think about how you realize uh, what it is you're supposed to do and who you are and how you think about those kinds of things. Now, what's not in the text today is that Moses says to, to God, uh, how I can't go to Egypt and do this because I have a speech impediment. And God said, don't worry about that. I will send Aaron with you. And he will do his talking. You're talking for you. He'll speak for you. So that's where Aaron gets into the picture. Uh, the reason we, we believe that uh, Moses and Aaron are two historical people is that they have their names are Egyptian names. So clearly they came out of there. So Moses decides to go by listening to that voice and by turning and looking at things in a different way. And so it's a vocational moment for him and by extension when we think about the Lenten season, we think both about repentance, changing the direction that you're looking for happiness. And I've repeated myself over the last two or three weeks and even before that about Father Keating's uh, belief that the ways in which we're tempted are around the three energy centers, which have to do with our emotional programs for happiness, security and survival, affection and esteem, and power and control. And these are the three areas that all of us struggle with on a daily basis. They're never going to go away because they're part of the human condition. And when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he was tempted in every way as we are, so the source of his temptation also was around the three energy centers, security and survival, affection and esteem, and power and control. So part of the repentant character in the season of Lent is, is the desire to look at things in a different way, to turn around. And not only to make this interior resolve this sort of reconversion to what is right, but to put it in your hands and figure out what that might mean uh, in terms of your daily living and what you're going to do. Uh, Moses had, there was a grand plan for him, and he, had, he went to Egypt uh, to liberate his people. Most of us aren't going to have some sort of a grand plan that we're going to have to engage in in that way, but we do have important things to resolve and to uh, undertake in our lives and to not shrink from those things. And God's promise today and in the text last week is, don't worry about this, I'm going to be with you, present to you. So when we say, how does this uh, transformative work occur within us? It's the Spirit of God, God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us. So that's what we believe <coughs> and say the work of the Spirit. So how does that happen? It comes 
to you in your thoughts and in your feelings and in your relational life, how you make a difference. Luke's gospel is today Jesus speaking. Here's another example of my teacher, O.C. Edwards. It's not as important what the Bible says as what the Bible means. And this is a perfect passage where we can see, um, uh, we, we can interpret this in, in more than one way. Um, it's entirely possible that Luke, as biblical scholars would say, retrojected some history that happened after the earthly ministry of Jesus to talk about uh, something that uh, was Luke wished to demonstrate to his readership about the way we understand God's work in the world and the reciprocal processes that are involved in the issues of repentance and turning your life around and the affirmation of God's purposes for us. You know? I've said this a lot recently. I'm coming more and more to the conviction that for many centuries now, we have had an overweening understanding of the sovereignty of God. And I do not mean that I personally believe that God is not sovereign. But I think the way that it has been interpreted by a great many people is um, John Piper on YouTube saying that God is even in control of the dust motes. So those of you who are careless housekeepers <laughs> maybe can take some consolation for that. But I suspect that we, that kind of micromanagement may not be uh, how Jesus or any of the great patriarchs or matriarchs of the Holy Scriptures understood the sovereignty of God. The language certainly sounds like it, doesn't it, in some ways. And the connection between behavior and what's going to happen to you and God's direct involvement in that sounds pretty direct often in some of the biblical texts. But here's what I think Jesus was talking about today, and Jesus through Luke, which is uh, important as well. Uh, Jesus is speaking about, uh, he's been asked about some things that have occurred, some historical circumstances where Pontius Pilate apparently slaughtered some people in the temple precincts, killed 18 people, and mingled their blood with the sacrifices. This, you know, this would have been an unthinkable and unspeakable act on Pilate's part. And the historical record demonstrates to us that Pilate, sometimes who's given a kind of friendly view in some of the uh, gospel texts to somebody who was, well, you know, I'm here sort of reluctant to, you know, to do this. He was a bad actor. He was a bad actor in history. So how did that happen? And what about the Tower of Siloam that fell and killed all these people? So I was reading it this week and I thought to myself, you know, this could have all been something that occurred after the earthly ministry of Jesus and it could have occurred during the Romans' destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And that those tragedies and atrocities were performed when the Roman imperial system came into Jerusalem Ernest remind us, reminded us last week, the capital of Judea was not Jerusalem, it was uh, Caesarea. And so Pilate had to come in there with his army 
And he came in there with his army, and the others did, and they destroyed the city, and everybody ran away. It was a ruin for years. Now, why does this have to do with repentance or anything else? Well, if we were to, put, if we were to say that these events were random occurrences about which that occurred at, during the time of Jesus or just before, Jesus was using them as illustrative of the fact that you need to change the way you think about how God is going to operate in this situation with Roman imperial power. Because part of what Jesus did was when he came to Jerusalem was to confront the Roman imperial system. That's what he wanted to do. And so when he came in there to do that, his way of doing it was through peaceful means. And he was surrounded by people before him and even after him who believed that the only way to deal with the Roman imperial system was through violence and revolution. And if you could say this using modern categories, Jesus was the head of the peace party. Okay? He was not in favor of those things. He was in favor of uh, operating at a different level where we seek peaceful solutions and model by our own behavior corporately uh, the, the reconciling work of God, which is the second theme of the Lenten season, isn't it? To become a reconciler. And in our catechism, in the Book of Common Prayer, it says that the mission of the church is to restore all people to unity with God and each other in Christ. That's the mission. And the mission can't be accomplished by some being somewhere else. It's accomplished through you and me. And so in this particular case, Jesus is speaking about the necessity to understand this. And then, oddly enough, this is another thing I should mention to you. Many places in the New Testament, and indeed in all parts of the Bible, are pieces that are random Fragments that are put together editorially in some sort of a attempted coherent fashion, right? So uh, this is material that's all conflated. So all of a sudden, after this bang, we have the parable of the fig tree. But I think what it is is in there because it's about uh, giving everything another chance. And by extension, that everything does get another chance. That God's presence is always there to give things another chance. To give human beings another chance. The story is, this gardener's in the garden. So he, the gardener may stand for somebody in an allegorical sense. The gardener goes and says to the landowner, we've got this fig tree here. The landowner comes and observes this. And for two years, uh, this tree has not borne anything. In the third year, the tree has not borne anything. And so he says, cut the tree down. I've had it with this thing. It's bearing no fruit at all. And the gardener says, I think you ought to give this tree another chance. And I'll fertilize the tree. My grandmother, when you hear, will put manure. She'd have gone, oh, dear. <laughs> don't want it. Sounds a little clinical, you know. But fertilize the tree, and we'll give it another chance and see whether or not it'll grow. Now, I read that and think about this personally and think about the possibility of growing in a new direction. 
and maybe re-understanding what it means when we talk about uh, growth generally and what produces growth and how in our relational life uh, there are some things that retard growth and some things that promote growth. And so this is about that to some degree. And it's about always that God gives us another chance, right? And often another chance through using the materials that are here with us now, not somewhere else. You know, in the physical world in which we live, not imagining some other place. So this week, think about the uh, importance of repentance. Think about it in vocational terms, turning and looking at something in a new way. Um, turn and understand that God, I said last week, you know, God is not a cutter and a runner. That's one thing the biblical witness is very clear about all through, and that is that God is always faithful, no matter what, no matter what. So sometimes things happen and we can't understand why they do. And every one of us struggles with the whole issue of what about prayers that aren't answered? What about people that remain unhealed? What sense are we to make out of all that? There is no answer to that. The fact of the matter is that we know that we have seen examples of the presence of God. And we've also seen people who have in heroic ways, in big and small circumstances, reflect to one another the power of God's work in their own lives. And so that's what we affirm when we speak about these things today. So give thanks for that opportunity. And remember again and again, God needs you to accomplish his purposes for the cosmos. So you count, and what you do is important. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.